Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Galatians 1, 6, and 7, at page 1788. Page 1788 in your pew Bibles. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Please be seated. God is good. I'd like for you to believe it a little bit, if you would, please. God is good. All the time. All right, there you go. The gospel is for all. We think of the gospel being for the rich, for the poor, for the uneducated or educated, for the blue-collar worker or the fellow that wears a suit and tie or the lady that wears a dress. We think of the gospel being for Kentuckians as well as Tennesseans, for Americans as well as Haitians, Indians, and all others. But in the letter to the Galatians, the gospel is for the church. And the reason that the church needed the gospel is because a lot had happened since Paul was last in Galatia. In Acts chapter 13, both Paul and Barnabas were chosen by the Holy Spirit to go on a mission trip. And they did that very thing, and they wound up in a region that is called Galatia. So Galatia is not a town, it's actually a rather large region, that one that's teal uh, between the red and the orange. That's how large that was in those days. So you're talking about a network of different churches. And Paul got to the first city there, he and Barnabas, and they preached the good news first in the synagogue to the Jews, which was their custom. Some of the Jews and the Gentiles that were present were persuaded by this. But then you have some others that were not persuaded and they took issue with it. So Paul goes on from there. And as he has left that area and they are continuing to deride him about this, he tells them that it was necessary to take that good news to God's people of Israel first. But since they no longer want to receive it, Paul said, we're now going to turn to the Gentiles. A Gentile was a non-Jew. If you think about it, nearly every race has probably used one word to describe the races that are not them. The Greeks referred to non-Greeks as barbarians, for example. So the Jews referred to non-Jews as Gentiles. And it just so happened that when the Gentiles heard that they're going to turn and now focus on them to preach that message, they become overjoyed. They're so happy. Now they get the chance to hear this good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. So Paul continues to take the gospel to the Jews, but with an emphasis on the Gentiles. And you can read about his, his journey to Galatia in Acts chapters 13 and 14, but he gets to Iconium. 
And there are some that side with Paul, but then you have some that side with the troublemaking Jewish population. And it becomes a huge point of of division, and it almost becomes violent. So Paul and Barnabas and those that are with him, they flee and they go to other cities. And as they keep on moving in one city, they get to one place and the citizens believe that uh, Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. Hermes being the spokesman for Zeus. And so they want to offer a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 we're just men. But they thought that they were gods. And that was a common belief in the ancient world that the gods sometimes came down and took human form. So Zeus and Hermes. And so that, that, that was a bust. But then those that disagreed continued to pursue And they find Paul in a city, and they stone him. Paul has fallen. They believe that he's dead now, and so they leave. A stoning was a very brutal way to kill someone. And sometimes, depending on where it was, there were places within cities where you could affix a person to a part of the wall, and you would have these large baskets of stones, probably big enough as a baseball or softball. And usually the way that it was is whoever brought the accusation against the person, they would begin the stoning. They got to throw the first stone. And then anyone who was there, they would collect those stones out of those baskets and you would have a whole volley of people at once throwing stones. Understandably, you get hit in certain places, you'll knock out pretty quick. You get hit in other places, it causes other issues. So I I don't want to underemphasize the part that Paul was stoned and they believed that he was dead. But after they left and Paul is taken and tended to, we see a little bit of good news from all these efforts. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord and whom they had believed. So even through all that trial, even through all that hardship, the opposition, the nastiness that they encountered, there was a positive result. And so they go back, they backtrack and go to those very places they had been and they strengthen the brethren. Imagine when you first saw Paul, he looked well, he was in good health, he was whole, but the second time you see him, he's got bruises all over him. Maybe one of his eyes is shut partially and maybe he's having to hold one of his arms to his side and he's got a limp now and you go, what happened? And Paul says... Well, they stoned me because of this very message that I've told you. And he uses himself as a visual to encourage those brothers and those sisters. Now, he had preached to them the gospel. And and as I mentioned, gospel is a word that means good news. And we should treat it as good news. One of the discouraging points that I find is that The gospel isn't always presented as good news, but rather it's weaponized. It's used somehow to manipulate people, which is not all that good news. 
Sometimes people want to use the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and they tag onto it a lot of other things. They try to make you afraid, and some, maybe sometimes we need the fear. But how can you generate fear out of good news? Think about it. We, we, we've all had those moments where, <clears throat> maybe at work or somewhere with family, they say, I've got some good news and some bad news. Which do you want to hear first? <clears throat> More often than not, we'll go, let's go ahead and hear the bad news, right? We want to rip the Band-Aid off and just get it over with. And we, in our minds, we've got the worst possible scenario cooked up. And then sometimes we hear the bad news and we go, that's it? Okay, that's, okay I can live with that. Uh, because we built it up so much in our minds that when we... Oh, okay, that's fine. Now, what's the good news? And you get the good news, you go, oh, okay, that is pretty good news. So you, you have bad news, and juxtaposed to that bad news is good news. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is that every one of us, <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat, I do apologize. Every one of us, somewhere along our life, in our youth, teenage years, we become aware of our sins. We become aware of the fact that we have done things that God says you shouldn't do. And there are things that we should do that God has commanded us to do. We learn about the nature that we possess, that it is a fallen human nature. And we see the sin and we even participate in the sin. And in one passage in Romans chapter 5, we are, we are presented before God as hostile to Him, as unbelieving, and as enemies of God. But that's the picture that Paul gives before the cross. After the cross, we are forgiven, we are reconciled, we are justified. So the question I'll ask you is which side of the cross are you on? If you're before the cross, then you're in that state of being hostile to God, of being an enemy of God, and having this animosity that exists. But God doesn't want that. He came in the flesh as His Son Jesus, gave Himself as a willing offering on the cross to satisfy the law's commands and to reconcile humanity to God. And the good news is, you and I don't have to stay in the state of being enemies to God, hostile towards Him, but we can come through Jesus. Here's the good news. And be forgiven of our sins. We can be made a part of God's family, a member of the body of Christ, all because it began with His grace. That's good news. So let's look, if you have your Bible open to Galatians 1, let's look at this passage. We'll start with verse 1 just to, to get up to this point. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, if you don't know what an apostle is, an apostle is someone who is sent. There were 12 apostles. They were sent by Jesus. But this word apostle is used uh, in that technical sense and also in a non-technical sense. Barnabas in Acts 14.14 14 is referred to as an apostle, but he's not numbered of the 12. So an apostle is one who is sent and specifically one who is sent from God or Jesus. And Paul argues that his 
apostleship isn't from men or through men. Now this is very important because later as he goes on through this letter, he is having to defend his apostleship. In order for them to take what he has to say with any sort of authority, he has to set forth that he is given this word and this position not by somebody, but by Jesus Christ. This Jesus, God raised him from the dead. Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now here's how salvation works. First of all, it begins with the will of our God and Father. There's grace. That's that starting point of salvation. Then, that grace is carried out by Jesus Christ, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. And why did he do that? That he might deliver us from this present evil age. I much prefer a different translation. Some of you may have deliver in that passage. I prefer the term rescue. Let's put it like this. Let's say you're driving down the road and there's a car accident and you pull over and you see that the engines begin, there's flames. And so you're running up and you're trying to open the door, but it won't open. The window won't roll down. So you smash the window in and you're reaching in to try and help the person that's trapped to get out. You're rescuing them from danger. You would never say, if you were in the car and somebody got you, you say, he delivered me. Right? That's what a doctor does with a baby. A doctor delivers a baby. In this case, there's peril, there's danger, and you pull the person out, you rescue them. Jesus Christ wants to rescue us from the present evil age. And I love, we have to look at verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now he gets right into the issue. This is how a lot of Paul's letters begin. His letters begin, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to you, grace and peace and love. And the rest of the letter, would you please get it together and act right? I challenge you, read every letter of Paul and it's going to come in that structure. But here's the issue. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Highlight grace of Christ which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Hold your spot there and look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Paul gives us a little insight as to what's going on. That was a good, evil laugh. (laughs) Galatians 5, verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Okay, 
For those unaware, the, it was Jewish custom that on the eighth day, every male born child be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant between that individual and God. So today we don't think of it as a religious thing. It's more of a hygiene or health related, just something that's done. But to them, it was a big deal. And so in order, let's say you were a non-Jew and you wanted to become a Jew. In those days, what you would do, three things. If you were a male, you'd have to be circumcised. Secondly, you would have to be baptized. And third, you would have to go and give an offering at the temple. And then you could be said to be a Jew, even though you were a Gentile, uh, because you converted at that point. So you have Paul preaching this gospel of grace. God is gracious. God has sent His Son to die to rescue us. You do nothing to earn it. You see, that's what all the pagan religions taught. The pagan religions taught if you do the, the rites of the religion, you were begging the god or goddess for their favor. Or if there's a drought on the land, you will offer such and such sacrifices to this god or goddess so that they may turn their wrath away. And the Jews had somewhat become like that in their minds. They're thinking, you have to keep the law before you can ever become a Christian. So that means for the men, you must be circumcised. You must observe feast days. You must observe certain ritual practices. You have to eat a certain diet. Thank God for grace because pork is excluded in that diet. How many of you love bacon? And your doctors thank you. Especially the cardiologist. So there are all these rules. 613 commandments, I think someone once read, that were contained in the law. You know, that's a lot. I mean, I could probably name several commandments, but 613, that's a lot. An awful lot. So these, some of them may be Jewish Christians, some of them may be Gentile Christians who have been persuaded by their Jewish Christian brethren, but they're now teaching this. You must be circumcised. You must adhere to all these things. You must do these and be baptized so that you can be a disciple of Jesus. And Paul says, that's not it. That's not what I told you. I told you that Jesus, by the will of the Father, came and offered Himself as a sacrifice. You don't do anything to earn salvation. You can never do anything to earn salvation. Underline the word earn, okay? There are things we must do, but it doesn't earn us salvation. There's, there's a difference that has to be made right there. And so he fought verse 10 in chapter 1. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So there's this tension within the church. You've got some, they want to be saved. They want to be rescued. But they're hearing conflicting stories. You have the gospel of grace on the one hand, and then you've got the gospel of works on the other. And Paul says, there's really no other gospel. There's no other good news. This is the good news. That God, by His will, sent His Son to die 
to rescue us. Now, it's not a universalist thing. Just because God willed it and Jesus did it doesn't mean every person in the world is saved because we have an obligation to respond to that offer. And so Paul, am I trying to please men or God? Those who have given heed to the false gospel, they're doing so under the pressure of others. And we got to be careful as Christians today. There, if the, my thinking is, if the Bible clearly says it, that is, do it or don't do it, I think we can all agree that we should either do it or not do it. There are some areas, a lot of areas, that are areas of judgment. You and I may disagree on what is best to do in those cases. But sometimes what happens is in those areas of judgment, we create a law and we bind it on one another, which only leads to further division. Now, you and I may agree on the thing and we may think, yeah, that would be more pleasing to the Lord than this. But not everybody is to where you and I are in faith. Some are babes in faith. Some are much more mature in faith. And so rather than creating unnecessary division, we have to realize the clear commandments of the Lord, the clear prohibitions of the Lord, live in them and have grace within matters where it's a personal judgment. But they are giving heed to these, uh, these people who are, who are pressing this on them. And you know, a lot of people, they're just like, they, they'll, they'll go with it, right? Many people have this personality. You don't like conflict. You, you don't, I, I don't want any problem. You t- okay, I'll, I'll do it. No big deal. No big deal. Paul says, no, it is a big deal. It's a big deal because if you do it this way, you fall in from grace. Because you have married yourself to the law, now you're a debtor to the whole law. This law that no longer has its hold over us. Jesus died satisfying the requirements of that law. So, okay, let's go back to our car accident analogy. If we rush to rescue the person trapped in the car, but they are insistent on remaining in the car, we can try to force rescue them, but we may put ourselves in danger. They have to be willing to accept that rescue and allow themselves to be rescued. They've got to want to be rescued. And our problem today is that people don't realize the peril that they may be in and the rescue that they need. That's the sad part. Is not understanding that perilous position that Humanity is in because of sin, but the good news says you can be rescued. God wills it. He carried it out through Jesus, His Son. But you have to surrender. First of all, you have to know you're in danger. And here's here's something for you to chew on. The car wreck analogy is, is, right, you understand that. You, you fully get that. And there's probably not one of you in here that if you saw a car accident, you wouldn't try to help. Or if you couldn't physically help, you would call 911 and, and do whatever you could. Now think about the people that are in your life that have never surrendered to the Lord. Why don't you and I see that as urgent as a car accident? And why don't we try to give them this good news by which they may be rescued?
been several months ago, but Stephanie and I were at Tractor Supply. Had to get some fencing materials. That's always fun. And we were coming out of Tractor Supply and we heard a motorcycle rev. And I just turned to the side and this guy goes by and I just keep walking and, you know, I'm partially, I'm hearing impaired, but Stephanie, she said, she just wrecked. And so I just dropped what I had, threw my hat off, and I'm like, where are we going? And, and they had all the mulch in the bags and the potting soil stacked in the bags. And so we run around, and this girl had, had, uh, had gassed it when she shouldn't had, lost control, veered off, and slammed right into that. And so by the time we get around there, her boyfriend had pulled up, and he's pulling her over, which I'm like, don't move her, right, because she hit with her head. And then he's trying to take her helmet off, and I'm like, no, 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 leave her, leave her helmet on, right? You got, I knew, I knew that much, you got to stabilize the neck. And so we rose the visor, and, uh, you know, they've called uh, for emergency services. You know, I'm, I stood there, I just held her head the whole time. Stephanie talked to her, her boyfriend talked to her. And then you always got, a, <laughs> you always got this one that thinks they're helping, that has to walk up and has to say something, and you really just want to go, would you just walk away? You're not helping at all. This guy was walking up, and I, he, I'm sure he had the greatest of intentions, has a good heart, but he stood there behind everybody else, and he said, oh, the Lord just told me to come here today at this moment. I don't know why, but I guess this is why, you know, and starts, and I'm like, it's not about you. I told Stephanie, I just said, you hear that guy? She's like, I never heard him. I'm like, yeah, I heard him. I wish he would have stopped, you know, but anyway. But see, you see a person when they're in danger. And as soon as I heard Stephanie say, she's wrecked. I don't know who she is. I didn't really know where she was. I just dropped what I had. And as Stephanie's going a direction, I start running that direction too. She was in danger. She needed help. And people are in danger. Their souls are in danger. And they need help. Thankfully, rescue has come. And we don't obtain this rescue by the works of the law, but by faith and obedience to the Lord. The point of your and my initiation is that point of faith where we confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is the, God, is the, excuse me, the Son of God, and where we are buried with Him in baptism. And I love this illustration. You probably can't read it that well because it's very tiny. But you see Jesus there on the cross. And the person in the water is preparing to die to their sins. Jesus buried in the tomb. And as the person is buried in the water, they too are buried with Jesus. And as Jesus rose from the grave, when the person comes up from the waters of baptism, they too are raised, Paul says in Romans 6, in newness of life. The gift of grace carried out by our Lord Jesus doesn't require that you keep the 613 commandments of the law, but does require that you surrender and you allow the Lord to rescue you. So if you wish this morning to be rescued, come. Come to the front as we stand together and sing.